Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your Source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 593 for the 19th of Tammuz in a regular year. So in the year 1953, two psychologists by the names of James Old and Peter Milner conducted an experiment at McGill University, which is coincidentally where I went to school and studied psychology. So perhaps that's where I first heard about this study. I don't remember. So what these two psychologists did is they actually set up an experiment with a, with rats where they let the rats take control. So what do I mean by this is they set up a lever, which would, which was attached to a certain stimulus. And in the beginning, just kind of like as a control, they would see if the rat would go over and press the lever and how often they would do this. And they didn't have the stimulus turned on. Uh, And in the beginning, the rat didn't really, uh, wasn't really so interested in the lever. They kind of pressed it maybe, or they didn't, they ignored it after a while. But then they, they matched up this lever, they attached it to a stimulus. And what would the stimulus do? The stimulus was attached to the rat's brain so that every time the rat would press the lever, then a certain part of the rat's brain called the nucleus accumbens, which I'll explain what that is soon, would get stimulated. And what they found is that when they did this, then the rat started really going for that lever and they started pressing this lever over and over and over and over again. And they even would set up a situation where the, in order to get to the lever, the rat would have to pass through a, some shocks and really like some pain, very, very painful shocks, which in previous experiments, they found that even if a rat was really starving to death, then uh, in order to get to the food, they would not go over those shocks to get to the food. But in the case of here getting to press that lever, the rats were willing to go over that shock. And in fact, they would do so over and over and over again. So why, why were they doing this? Because it turns out that this area of the brain, the nucleus accumbens, is the center of a circuit in the brain called the dopamine circuit, which if you've been following along this podcast so far, or if you know a little bit about about psychology, I've mentioned dopamine in the past. Dopamine is a neuromodulator, meaning that it releases certain chemicals that produce feelings of motivation and reward improved mood and attention and all kinds of really good feelings. And so it turns out that this dopamine uh, circuit, this area of the brain that got stimulated when, uh, when the rats pressed the lever is so powerful and so pleasurable that the rats were willing to even forego food and even withstand really painful shocks in order to get at it. And what the experimenters also found is that when they would administer, uh, administer different substances to the rats, 
then they found time and time again that whenever they would administer substances which were known to be addictive, like addictive drugs like cocaine, heroin, things like that, this would always increase the intensity with which the rats would go after these this lever to get that sensation again. So they really, really craved this sensation time and time again. And then they also found that if they actually removed this part of the brain, the nucleus accumbens from the brain, then this motivation totally ceased. They stopped pressing at the lever. They didn't need to do this anymore. And so it's, it's really interesting. And there's been like some variations on the study, not like to the same degree, obviously, but done on humans that like where you find different humans who, uh, people who experience depression, unfortunately. And when the nucleus accumbens is stimulated, then they actually begin smiling, laughing, feeling feelings of, of pleasure. So it's a really, really, really powerful part of the brain. So this obviously is a very uh, interesting study in terms of addiction and how addiction plays out and how we can see that people who unfortunately do suffer from addiction, it really is a true illness in the sense that it's such a powerful force that a person will go to great lengths to satisfy their addiction, even at, at the extent of great pain, even at the extent of knowing how bad the addiction is for them, even at the extent of foregoing food, relationships, all kinds of different things like that. So why do I bring all of this up today and what does it have to do with Tanya and what we're going to be learning about? So if you recall yesterday, we started talking about this idea of a rope that connects us with our source above. And yesterday we really spoke about this in terms of like almost thinking about ourselves as being like puppets and how the puppet master, when the puppet master moves the rope in different direction, moves the string in different direction, this causes the pu the various puppets to move. And we use this as an analogy for understanding how we are connected at our source. And that if anything, God forbid, is becomes severed in some place in our source, um, which the way that we can think about this is that if we think of this rope as that connects us to our source as being made up of 613 strings, which each one of the 613 strings corresponds to, um, to one of the 613 commandments, one of the 613 mitzvahs. So anytime a person, God forbid, transgresses one of those commandments, it kind of weakens their attachment to their source above. So then it's like the, the, the puppet isn't moving as smoothly in terms of its source above. So yesterday we spoke about all of that and we can go back and you can go back and listen to that, obviously. And I encourage you to do so to get caught up to where we're at now. Um, so we really talked about like the effect of different uh, transgressions that we have and how that affects the influx of, um, of the energy that we're receiving from above. Today, we're actually going to move a little bit in the opposite direction. We're going to talk about the really what's going on from below to above and 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 what happens there and how this affects the nourishment that we're receiving from above so we also we already kind of mentioned the idea that the explanation as to why it is that we see that there are many people who live in the world today and throughout history who were not great people who were quite evil, in fact, and who did many transgressions, which by the letter of the law in Torah, supposedly they are um, liable for death, uh, 
or for excision. And there's this idea that uh, even if they might be able to live like a certain amount of life, like kind of like in this like kind of superficial way, spiritually speaking, by the age of 50 or 60, that should really be the limit. And that's when they should pass away. And we see that many people throughout history or many people living today live way beyond that time. And they live actually very quite prosperous and seemingly very enjoyable lives even if they are pretty horrible people. So we've been talking about how this could be the case, how this is. And we talked about the idea that there's different sources of life. So back in the day, when we still had the the temple, the holy temple, then everything was like a lot more direct. So our souls, our bodies, in fact, were really nourished from one direct source. And this was from our godly soul. And our godly soul received its energy in a direct line directly from our creator. However, with the descent of the generations and with the, the exile of both the Jewish people and the destruction of the temple, and with this, the exile of the Shekhinah, the exile of the divine indwelling, everything became a little bit more complicated in the sense that we no longer necessarily receive our life force direct from this godly energy, direct from our godly soul. We may still, like if somebody really lives their life in a way that's really aligned with their creator, that's really aligned with God's will, then yes, then we do receive our energy and our vitality from this direct source. However, unfortunately, if people don't do this, then they don't necessarily pass away nowadays. What happens is they actually begin to receive their life force in a way that everything else in creation does that isn't unique to a Jew that isn't unique to a Jewish soul but rather they'll receive their energy force through the various astrological bodies and things like that which are sourced in the Klipas Noga that we spoke about so they're sourced in these like husks that conceal God it's kind of like from it's not it's not in this like direct line really we liken this to sort of like if you think about like if uh, at a company or something like that where the CEOs and the, the high executives are are getting this like really nice lunch and everything from uh, from a re- catered from a really fancy restaurant and they go into a dining hall and they're eating that lunch. That's like they're kind of getting the food from the direct source versus like the janitors and like the interns and stuff like that. They're just getting the leftovers and they're eating like in, in their offices in the basement or something like that. And it's like the leftover stuff that is just like maybe enjoyable to them but it's not really you know it's not it's not it's not the the good stuff the good stuff is really reserved for the CEOs and the executives so what we're going to be learning about today is where our choice comes into the, this matter, where we really choose where we want to receive our vitality from, where we'll become, come to realize that in fact, we're not that different than these rats who choose, unfortunately, to press this lever time and time and time again, which may feel very pleasurable for them in the moment, but in fact, they're actually really hurting themselves and they're suffering and they may even be starving themselves to death just in order to get that moment of pleasure. This is something that I think a lot of people could really relate to today with uh, with social media and the internet and things like that, or fast food. Like there are so many things. I was just talking with my friend the other day about this, how there's so many things in our society nowadays that are all about instant gratification. You go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, you get that dopamine hit immediately. Like there's, there have been many studies on this very idea that it's like we we're always seeking that next hit because it feels so pleasurable in the moment when you eat those french fries when you eat that um pizza whatever it is you get that instant moment of pleasure that instant moment of of stimulation but what happens after that is that you get this low and you want more and in the studies of in dopamine studies 
what's, what's been shown is that the more you stimulate these dopamine receptors, they actually need more to be satisfied. So it's interesting. This is maybe a kind of a little bit of a tangent, but dopamine, as much as it is motivation and reward and all of that, it's not really pleasure. Pleasure is serotonin, which is another system that comes after the dopamine. So Dopamine in and of itself is not pleasurable. It's what gives us that feeling of anticipation for the pleasure, but it's not true, true, true pleasure. It's not true happiness in and of itself. That true feeling of satisfaction and happiness, that's more serotonin. And what happens is that the more we focus on the dopamine, the more we focus on that instant gratification, the actually the further away we get from that ultimate satisfaction, just like those, those rats in the laboratory, which the more they're pressing on that lever and they're focusing on the lever over and over and over, the more they're starving themselves, the more they're getting away from what the, what truly could bring them happiness. So this is what we're going to be talking about today in the Tanya is just, is, is this exact idea is that yes, you can live your life in a way that superficially might be very enjoyable, superficially might, uh, might appear to be the best life. And you can look at these people and it can look like that they're living for a really long time and they're having a great existence, a great life. But in fact, all they're doing is pressing on these dopamine receptors because really what they're doing and choosing to live their lives in a way that is against the will of God, God forbid, is yes, they're still getting a life force. They're still receiving a life force, but it's not direct. It's not from the right place. It's not from God directly, but rather it's through these astrological astrological forces through the klipa, through the, the husks. And in fact, when we spoke about yesterday, how this level of the husk, this level of the astrological forces is like the level at which everything else in nature receives its life force from its vitality, whether we're talking about plants or animals or uh, the rocks and mountains and things like that. When a person does this, when a person um, receives their life force from there, specifically a Jew, it's actually a lot more intense because the difference between a Jew receiving their life force from the, the source of the klipa versus other things in creation is a Jew is doing this, doing this by choice. And because a Jew is doing this by choice, it actually causes their soul to descend way further than even an animal would. So it's like, it's one thing, again, going back to that experiment, it's one thing to have a rat spend their entire life pressing on this lever and just like being, um, obsessed with getting this, uh, this stimulation to their nucleus accumbens. It's another thing if you were to have a human to do that. And just imagine how much more, God forbid, destructive, like there's a reason why we don't do these experiments on humans because we see, we look at addicts all the time and we see just how they destroy their lives and how sad it is and how, how they go from being a human being to being like so low, like really lower than an animal pretty much in a lot of cases, unfortunately. And what we'll really learn to, that, to make this even more intense today is that in so doing, in bring, drink, dragging ourselves down in this way, we don't only drag ourselves down, we actually drag down our source. We drag down God, unfortunately, when we do these things. So we spoke about this whole idea that the source, if we want to get technical, then we were talking about that our source, our spiritual source is the Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, which is the like ultimate name of God and how really it's, you know, there's four letters. There's the Yud, the first He, the Vav, and then the last He. And that last He is really the source of where it comes from. And like, like this is like where, where God like kind of 
begins the process of actual creation is with that last hay. So we can think of that last hay as being our source. And what we do when we do things that are against the will of God, if we go back to that like rope analogy, that that uh, visualization of the rope, we're basically dragging down from our end of the rope, from the lower end of the rope, we're dragging down that hay down here as well, which is why going back to the uh, idea of tshuva, which is the grand topic, the grand theme of this section of the Tanya that we're learning, tshuva is etymologically, we look at it and it says tashuv hay, the return of the hay, because really what tshuva is all about is returning that hay to its source, to its place high up in God. And we're trying to restore ourselves to that level of having a more direct and a more um, clear type of connection with God. So we're basically all trying to be addicts in recovery. That's basically what it's all about. So it's like, I think when we, um, maybe this is a little bit of poetic license on my part, but I think when we look at addicts, like actual addicts, I think this is like maybe a caricature version of something that is really all about the human experience. Because really, if you think about it, anytime we do something, God forbid, that's against the will of God, then that really is, we're acting out of an addiction. We're choosing the nucleus accumbens. We're choosing the dopamine over the serotonin. We're choosing to get that instant gratification over the bigger satisfaction. So let's get into the text. This was a pretty long introduction, but I hope it was interesting. And uh, and let's see how the Altarabba explains this all from a more spiritual perspective. And perhaps I, I got a little creative with my analogies and with my parallels there. But to me, that this is really what came to mind for me. This was the, the visual that I had when the altar describes the idea of the rope and like pulling at the rope from below. I just, the first thing that came to mind was this experiment with the rats pressing on that lever and like kind of, you know, it's like, it, it, it seems like the same idea as like drawing on that, pressing, pulling down on that rope. That's, that's what came to mind for me visually. So I decided to go with it. So anyway, so here we go. So the altar begins today with a citation from Devarim chapter 32, verse nine, where it says, Yaakov Hevel Nachalato. Yaakov is the rope of God's heritage. So here we this we have this idea of the rope again, this visualization, this, this imagery of a rope, which we spoke began speaking of yesterday as mentioned and the ultra continues and he says that by way of analogy when we think about a rope who has the head the one end is at the top and the other end is at the bottom if a person so let's say you, you picture like somebody way up high in a building and holding a rope from a window and then there's somebody down below who holds the other other end of the rope uh, outside. So if the second person who's standing outside were to pull at that rope, then this is going to affect the higher end of the rope as well. And it's going to cause that higher end of the rope to be pulled down as much as it can be pulled down. And so this is exactly how it is when it comes to the soul of man. When uh, when we talk about the source of, the, of our soul, which is the aspect of the lower hay, as we explained above. So again, remember the source of our soul is in this lower hay, the last hay of the Yudke Vavke, of the Tashrakramaton. So when a person, uh, God forbid, um, does something to... Uh, to, to draw down their influence, like through our, a neg their negative actions or through their negative thoughts, then when they draw down the, their life force, this life force of of the hay into the chambers of the other side of the sitra acha, so to speak, 
then this is where they receive their thoughts and their deeds from. So it's like basically, it's like, yeah, once again, it's like a person can choose where they want to receive their vitality from. So if like a person chooses to draw their energy force from a certain place, then that energy force is going to give to them. So like if, if a person decides to get their nourishment from heroin, yeah, the heroin's going to give them that nourishment. It's, it's going to feed them. And since that person is the one, he is the one doing this. Like it's not, it's not the heroin that's like just magically giving to him. He's choosing to do this. So he's the one that is drawing down this influence. Then he is also receiving a larger portion of this of this influence from the head. So, and this, and then the ultra ever says, this is sufficient for the understanding. So my understanding of this basically is that like, unlike other creatures in the world, like other animals or plants or things like that, that they, yes, they receive also from this other side, from this kind of backhanded manner from God, but it's not their choice. So they're just receiving it because that's the way that God set up the world. God set up the world that certain things in creation will will not receive their nourishment necessarily in this direct, direct way, but rather in this way of like through astrological bodies and and that kind of thing. But versus when a person chooses this, when a person actually says, I want to receive my nourishment from this place and they focus their attention there, then that influence that they get is going to be a lot stronger because they're actively involved in that choice. And then uh, about this idea, the, uh, the ultra says, uh, he cites the, uh, he cites the sages. This is from Perkei Avos chapter four, verse 15, where it says, which, uh, this, the translation of that is that it's not within our grasp to understand either the reason for the tra- tranquility of the wicked. And then the, the verse, the, the section goes on and it says, or the suf- suffering of the righteous. So meaning to say that, we don't have the ability to understand truly why it is that wicked people prosper and righteous people suffer, right? Like why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? That whole question. And the ultra specifies that it specifically, it says be a denu, like in our hands. So why our hands? Because our hands, this is, we're talking about our times, specifically during the time of exile and in the time after the destruction of the base of Magdash. And this is the, the concept of the galus hashchina. This is the concept of the, uh, the, the exile of the divine presence, so to speak which uh which is where what does it mean that the uh, this exile of the divine shina is that this shina has the ability to give life to give a uh, vitality to the chambers of the sitra ahra which God totally despises. So it's really, it's like this crazy existence where God hates the sitra ahra. God hates this uh these chambers of which which uh, come from this other side, which totally conceal him. But yet in exile, what the Shekhinah is doing is it's actually nourishing them. It's actually giving influence to them. And so it's, it's really, it's, it's like a, it's, it, that really points to the depths of how the exile is, is coming from, because it's kind of like, again, if you picture again, this analogy of the addict, it's like picture as if like the parent was actually feeding the child heroin, like how that's like the most disturbing thing you could imagine. Like the, the, the parent would have to be in this like really deep state of exile to do such a thing. And maybe we could say maybe a way that can make a little bit more sense to us is like, let's say if you had a child who God forbid was like going through 
recovery going through like a detox or something like that. And like there, I'm not really sure how it works, but uh, for my understanding is like they have to kind of like wean them off of, of the drug for a while. So imagine that the parent was actually administering the drug to the child in order to sustain them because at that point, the addict has become so sustained by this drug that they actually need it in order to live. So it's like, it's, it's like the, the parent needs to be in such a, this low state, like the, the child, the addict actually drew the parent down into that addiction with them. So that's basically what we're doing. Anytime we transgress the will of God, we're actually not just hurting ourselves. We're actually drawing God down to be with us. But then when we talk about shuva, this is the good news now, is that what a person can do it, with shuva is that they're actually, they can restore this inflow of, of uh, vitality this, uh, to its proper pay, pr- place. And this is the whole idea of tashuv he. The shuva is, again, it's made up the, of the words tashuv, return of the he. So we're returning that lower he which is in this state of Galus, and we're returning it back to its source. And then this is why, says the Altar Rebbe, and this is how he concludes, if you look at Devarim, chapter 30, verse 3, it says, Veshav Hashem Elokecha et shvutcha, where it says, God, your God, will return your captivity, or those of you who return. And um, and the explanation for this, this uh, phrase is that it's meaning to say, he will return with you. Like, why does it say he will return those of you who return, like what, what's this weird phraseology it, that it means that God will return with you. And that's why, according to the sages in Megillah, in the Gemara, in Masachat Megillah, page 29a, it says, that it, he didn't say that he will bring them back. So meaning that the scripture could have said, God will bring back your, your captives, but he didn't say he will bring them back. He said he will return. So it's like he's putting himself in that, in, in the verse itself. He's, he's saying that not only is he going to return the captives, but he himself is going to return together with the captives. He's going to be part of this process of return, of redemption. So again, so it's like, again, basically when we do tshuva, this causes us not only to restore our nourishment back to our proper source, but it actually causes God to be restored to his source as well. So that's the end of the section. So it's pretty intense today. I know, especially the introduction, I really got pretty intense there. And I think I actually forgot to mention um, where we're up to that, that, that was actually, sometimes I do that. That's the, 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 conclusion the second part of of page of um of chapter six of your Shuva. so yeah so just in conclusion the basic idea and the basic takeaway is to really think to yourself like where do you want to receive your nourishment from would you rather receive your nourishment from a place of like instant gratification from this like dopamine like addiction kind of thing which we're using these extreme examples of heroin and stuff like that but really it applies in so many aspects of our lives whether we're talking about social media overeating food and even on a bigger scale and this is where we become more sensitive is anytime we do anything that's against the will of God we're feeding into that we're feeding into that instant gratification line like a lifeline do we want to be on that lifeline or do we want to be in a more sustainable nourishing wholesome lifeline which is the lifeline of God so it's a choice that we have and it's a deep, it's a deep choice. It's a profound choice that affects not only us, but it affects our source. So I know that's an intense note to leave on today, but that's where we'll leave it. And we'll continue tomorrow with chapter seven. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. 
This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.